Boa tarde e bem-vindo. So good afternoon and welcome. So I'm Brent Freeman with my wife Debbie, and we're here representing GOTM or Green Olive Tree Ministries. So Green Olive Tree Ministries started back in 1993 in Brazil's Northeast. So if you picture in your mind the South American continent and the bulge that sticks out into the Atlantic Ocean. <clears throat> the largest city is in that area is Recife or Recife, which is almost on the easternmost point. So a city of about uh, two and a half million people. And we started in Pombus, Pernambuco, the state is Pernambuco, and Pombus, the city or town, is about 25,000 people. It means pigeon or dove, depending on uh, what you're thinking at the time. So if you're having positive thoughts about Pombos, it's dove. If you're kind of uh, put off by the filth of the city, you call it pigeon. <laughs> but um, we began the ministry there, and the Lord has evolved it over these years into what we hope is his desire. It's the ministry that he <coughs> desires for us there. So we've, for the presentation, I've put some photos together, some that, a few that we took. Most of them are from other people who are more, uh, have a better eye for taking good pictures. And so I have asked Debbie to uh, go through the slides and explain some of the things there. So the slideshow, we hope to give you a little idea of what we look like and what we do. And when Debbie's finished, I'll talk a little more about why we do it. So Debbie. Good afternoon and greetings to all of you. And there were quite a few people at Warm Beach Camp that asked us to bring, bring greetings. They have relatives and friends at this camp. and. So we brought lots of greetings from many people at Warm Beach. Um, a preliminary thing that I want to say just for my own um, sense of well-being <laughs> is that um, when we as missionaries come home, people think that they have to treat us special or they say comments like, oh, what a wonderful job you do and I don't know how you do it and oh you people are really special people and then you start feeling real um, uncomfortable because we know how imperfect and not um, special we are and before I left Brazil um, Lisa Repke and, and my daughter Kezia and I were kind of sharing a book and um, it's by Elizabeth Elliot and she wrote a biography of Amy Carmichael and it's called A Chance to Die and um, the girls came across this quote and were plastering it everywhere their eyes would see it all the time only I didn't see it because they put it places where I wasn't and they brought it to my attention and I said I like that I'm gonna share that if we have an opportunity so I'm making an opportunity and Elizabeth Elliot says about Amy Carmichael, she was finding at first hand that missionaries are not set apart from the rest of the human race, not purer, nobler, higher, quote from Amy. Wings are an elusive fallacy. 
Some may possess them, but they are not very visible. And as for me, there isn't the least sign of a feather. Don't imagine that by crossing the sea and landing on a foreign shore and learning a foreign lingo, you burst the bonds of outer sin and hatch yourself a cherubim. <laughs> and so um, you can keep that in mind when you, when, as we walk through these pictures. Of course, they're pictures that were taken at our best moments, and everything looks nice and perfect. And we thank um, Corinna and Dan for many of the pictures. Um, none of you will know what was behind the pictures and how many we took to get the right look. <laughs> and how many smiles are, are you finished yet? And the reason that I'm saying this is to not diminish um, the, the pictures or the people in them, but I want you to enter in knowing that this is a work in progress, that the Lord is doing the work and we are his imperfect vessels, but he is working and we marvel at the things that he is doing in each of our lives, the things that he teaches us each day. So... Um, the first is our name, Green Olive Tree Ministries, and that name was chosen from Psalm 52, 8 and 9, which says, But as for me, I am like a green olive tree planted in the house of the Lord. I trust in the loving kindness of God forever and ever. I will give thanks forever because thou hast done it, and I will wait on thy name for it is good in the presence of thy godly ones. And we chose that verse knowing that um, the Lord has planted what is there, and he is the one that has done what is being done. Green Olive Tree Ministries presently has two properties. We started in the town of Pombos um, 15 or 16 years ago, and it is still the location of the school and the church. And the Laban's House property is the one that was purchased a couple of years ago, and they're 20 miles apart, but they're completely different in climate and temperature. Um, Pombos is hot all the time. Even when we call, say it's winter, it doesn't get very much rain. There have been years that we got 9 inches. There's been years when we've had 30 inches, which is unusual, I think, most of the time. We, if we want to have a picnic, and it has to happen, we'll have it in Pombos because it won't get rained out. <laughs> Laban's house, it would be hard to find a day to have a picnic a lot of the times. So GOTM Pombos, this is an aerial view of the compound there that the Lord has built up over the years. And um, the large two-story building, the bottom is the main school, and we have another um, school building that used to be our children's bedrooms, and now they're classrooms. And there's two more that are one building on the back right is still our um, home that we, when everybody is in Pombos, we have a place to put us. Since we uh, have moved the whole family out to the new property, a couple from our church and their children are being the caretakers of the Pombos property, and they're doing an excellent job. They're very committed to the work of the mission, and um, 
The GOTM school has the privilege of having five excellent teachers. We have a really dedicated team. It's taken some years to, to get them together, and um, they are committed to the ministry of the school and not just um, their job as teachers. And we really appreciate the work they're doing. The couple that is pictured, Tassian and Leo, are members of our church. And they have the majority of the 70 students. I think they have about 40 of our 70 students because they teach both morning and afternoon and um, are working very hard in those children's lives. The students come from Hombos and um, mostly close to our property, but it's spreading out to the town. More people are wanting to come into our school. This is an example of one of our classrooms. After, beginning in third grade, we separate boys from girls. We find that studying gets along more smoothly that way. We can address um, the needs of each better. Usually the girls are more interested in studying than the boys, and so um, they can um, go forward at better progress. The boys need more encouragement to behave and take things seriously, but um, they enjoy studying separately. When we separated it, we thought maybe they wouldn't like it, but they said, oh, good, and <laughs> they all like it. Um, another picture of some of the students. They like to show off their work, and um, we tell our teachers that if they aren't allowed to, if they aren't able to produce, they haven't learned, and so um, we, put a lot of emphasis on the student work. The, the teachers are the guides, um, teaching the children how to learn and encouraging them to learn and then um, showing what they've produced. You can see there, if they see a camera, they hold up something. <laughs> Recitation day, we have four times a year. Our, our school year is 200 days and it's divided into four units. Each unit has 50 days. On the 50th day of each unit, the parents are invited, and they, we call it recitation day. Each class recites the things that they've worked on. They're required to learn a certain portion of scripture, um, poetry, a passage from a literature book, um, passage from history. Uh, sometimes they even get in some science things that can be done in a narrative way, and um, they recite those for their parents. Um, the end of the year, the students got the idea of having picnics for their teachers, and so they um, planned their decorations and their food and invited their teachers to come for a picnic, and then the directors of the school got to go to all the picnics. <laughs> um, some extracurricular activities that we have. Um, since Benjamin and Kezia and Stephanie have come back from their training in the United States, they've um, developed uh, s several things with horses. Kezia teaches the main vaulting, and at the end of the year last year, we had a combination vaulting show and uh, a basketball game. Our male teacher was a professional basketball player, and he's, uh, basketball is fairly new in Pomus. And so the, the students are very proud that they have the only school, probably in all of the Northeast, <laughs> that has a basketball team. We had a lot of fun with this day. Um, we gave, 
the, the students a certain number of um, tickets to get in that they could share with family. Uh, we made shoo-hoos, which is uh, another thing our male teacher does. He used to sell shoo-hoos on the street. Did you, you taste shoo-hoos? So he made them, and um, we were selling them for 10 cents a piece. And so the kids bought tickets beforehand, and they brought so much money for this food that we thought maybe we'll raise the entrance um, tuition. <laughs> but we had a, a good day of fellowship um, at the end of the year with those things. And then later that week was the end of the year banquet where all of the parents are invited. Um, this year, we last year we had a full course meal that we prepared at the school. Um, we usually have a play and that um, is centered around uh, Christmas and the whole message of salvation and an opportunity to be with the parents. Also in Pombos is the church that is growing out of the ministry of the school. We meet in the garage um, of the property. Our cars aren't there most of the time now that we live at the other property. We don't have a picture of the church that we're setting up here for the service. Um, the church family came out to the new property, Laban's house, for a family camp and was the first of that kind of experience for uh, the members of the church, and they thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, we, they slept in tents. I was going to say we slept in tents, but we slept in our house because if we had put our family in the tents, we wouldn't have had room for the church. And um, they enjoyed the picture on the right. Um, I don't know if you can see blindfolds. We took them on a trust walk, and they had to cross some rivers and go through some woods and just trust us that... Um, and those who are leading them. Trail rides were part of it, as well as some good teaching and fellowship together. This is a picture of how some of the family gets to church in the horse trailer. Our cars don't hold everybody, and so um, some of them are taken to the main highway in the horse trailer, and then the other car goes back and forth to get us all to church. So um, GOT Laban's house is about, like I said, 20 miles from Pombos, has a totally different climate. We have lots of rain there, cold, um, shivery cold sometimes. Temperature-wise, it um, hovers around 60 to 64 in the wintertime, which is June to September. Believe it or not, there's a wind chill factor. The winds are, are pretty strong, and sometimes we just think we're freezing, but we won't. <laughs> um, in Laban's house, the name Laban's house was chosen because it means house of life. And it had been our dream, the dream of Brent and I, for many, many years to have a place where people could go to be refreshed, to um, remember why we were created, to um, be renewed in, in our love of him, a place where people who are troubled um, could come and, and find peace. And the Lord has provided this property, the first to be able to um, enjoy this peace is our family. We moved them out there because the school has taken over our most of our living quarters in Pombos. And we've been there for a year. We moved in June of last year. And I 
think I can truly say that um, the family has found peace with 100 acres to run on. The kids can run off that energy that they have. <laughs> and it is just the atmosphere there um, is a calming balm to us and those who have come as well. This is our, our house. The, the bottom part was there. There were three houses on the property, and we added the top part and some on the side. And it's called, um, by the neighbors, the children's house, the Casa das Crianças. We like that because in Pombos we were called the Americanos. So everybody talks about the Americans. Up there, that's where the Americans are. At this new property, the, the, all of the people say, oh, that's the children's house, isn't it? And we, are, we like that. So that's the children's house. It was designed um, to hold 30 to 40. And most of the time we have around 30 people, not children. That includes Brent and I. So, so um, now I would like to, people want to know who are your children? Well, they all are. We have 11 that carry the Freeman name and the uh, 12 that um, we are the parents to. Uh, prayer request is that a couple months ago the judge called us in to talk to us and his request is that we adopt the other 12. We were kind of shocked by that. Um, in the past, when we've tried to adopt other ones, there was just no way to do it, and now they're asking us to adopt them. It seems like a simple thing since we're their parents, but there are complications, and um, we need courage, and we need prayers at our age to take on lifelong responsibility for the other 12. Benjamin is our eldest son, and he's the director of the Laban's House Ministries. Um, Stephanie is his lovely wife and our daughter-in-law that we have learned to love immensely. And she's now the missionary secretary, and hopefully um, she'll be more successful than her mother-in-law at communication. And Rebecca, our first granddaughter, is the barn assistant. We put people in responsible positions immediately. And Rachel, who was born May 12th and is now two months old, we're calling here our caregiver trainer. So, um, oops, how do I go back? Kezia is our eldest daughter, and I have a whole list of the partial jobs that she does. So she's our household manager. She's a mother to the others. She's a homeschool teacher, the female discipleship leader, horsemanship instructor, vaulting instructor, advisor to kids and adults, um, daughter, sister, aunt, and friend, to just name a few things that she tries to occupy her abundant time with every day. She's holding down the fort while we're gone and um, doing an excellent job. Um, when we were here last, not here at camp, but in the States, and we mostly in Canada, we said that our home is a home to unclaimed treasures. So uh, uh, the definition of an unclaimed treasure is one who has reached adulthood, has um, survived the outside world, come home unclaimed, and is a valued treasure in our life. 
and Kezia is definitely uh, a treasure, as is Elizabeth, who is 23. Um, she has some physical and mental limitations, but she came to the Lord when she was 18, and it transferred, transformed her life. Um, she used to be very rebellious and stubborn and a source of tiredness <laughs> in her parents. And she came to an understanding of the Lord that we weren't sure how much she would be able to understand. But when the Lord worked in her life and revealed himself to her, she embraced him as her savior. And she's a transformed young lady. She's a very cheerful worker in the home. And when I've asked her about um, her dreams for the future, if she has any, trying to figure out, you know, what, what do you think about your future? She said, I just love you, and I just want to be here, and I want to do whatever I can. So she's our second unclaimed treasure. Our third one is Carissa, and she's 21. She's our chief cook. And so she valiantly gets up at 4 in the morning and gets the beans on, and we have and the rice and the vegetables and bakes some bread and, and feeds our family very well. Kara and Caleb are our twins, and they're um, college students. They're studying at Bob Jones University. They came home for the summer, so they're helping keep um, the family going while we're away, and we're very grateful for that gift that they were able to come home. Kara's studying elementary education, and she hopes to be able to use it on the mission field. Right now, her preference is us and our school. If the Lord keeps her as an unclaimed treasure, then we'll gladly hand the school over to her when she has her degree. And Caleb is in pre-med. He thinks that his direction is medical missions, and um, uh, we're just praying that the Lord would fully reveal his will to both of them. Fabiana is 16, and um, she is another child that is um, mentally delayed and has some physical problems. Uh, she has a very simple understanding of things. We're not sure yet what she understands about the Lord. She's 16. Elizabeth was 18 when the Lord revealed himself to her, and so we continue to pray for her. Um, our twin sons, Kias and Kiel, are nicknames for them. Kias is the one that many of you heard of that had the rattlesnake bite, and uh, we almost lost him. But the Lord, um, as Paul said about a fellow worker, saved us grief upon grief and allowed us to continue to have him in our home. And um, we're praying for their salvation, their, uh, both of them, yeah, they understand and they know, and, oh, maybe, I'm not sure, and we're encouraging them to be sure. Adriano is also 15. He's just three days younger than the, tw the twins, so we call them triplets, and he has given his, his um, heart to the Lord and is wanting to follow the Lord. Luciano is 14, and um, he is totally blind. He doesn't even see uh, the difference between light and dark. Um, we have lots of interesting stories and things that Luciano has taught us in his life. Aureliano is another 14-year-old, and so far his um, mission in life is to be mischievous and get into as much trouble as he can and see how 
what else he can do to make sure that we still love him. <laughs> Antonio just turned 13, and he's been with us since birth. Um, he says that he loves the Lord, and um, uh, we're, we're waiting to see if the fruits of that, if the Lord has transformed his life. Luana is 12, and um, she came to us when she was three. Um, she had lived on the streets with her mother. She slept on the streets. She was often ill. Um, she came into our home. She only made animal noises and had no idea of what normal life is. And today, she's a very sweet young lady that, um, that is very good at um, helping us in the family. Janemius is uh, her brother, but he was adopted by us. He came at birth. Um, the mother of the three, there, there's one more. Um, when he was born, wanted to give him, didn't like boys, but we love Janemius, and he's a wonderful boy. And his biological sister, Leticia, who's nine, is, was also adopted by us. Luana, their older sister, was not. The mother does not want to give her up because she was her firstborn, but the judge has ordered that Luana stay with us until she's an adult. And she considers us her, her mom and dad. Taina is nine. She came to be with us in February. We invited her to the family camp knowing she, she's part of our school knowing that she had a bad situation at home. Her mother readily agreed that she could come to camp. When I took her back after camp, her mother had disappeared. And um, several weeks later, realized that Taina knew that was going to happen, had chosen us as the parents she wanted to have instead of her mom. And um, we've caught up to that thinking and understand the story now. And uh, she's turned into a very delightful part of our home last year and the year before in the school. We just don't know if we could keep her there. She was one wild little girl doing everything she could to show how nasty she could be. And um, now that she's in our home, she's doing everything she can do to show what a loving heart she has. And so we pray that she'll be able to stay, and we pray that the Lord will work mightily in her life. Edson is eight. He's been with us for five years. Um, he was sent by the children's services when his parents went to jail, and um, he's, a, he's a keeper. Lucas is six, and his... Oops. Well, we'll go back to Lucas. Um, he and his younger brother, what you'll see uh, on between another slide, um, came to us in November. Their father is 86 and their mother is 36. And they were the, she had already given away six children, and the 86-year-old father, who probably technically isn't the father, but he registered them, <coughs> um, wouldn't let her give them away. But then um, she kicked him out of the house, and there was this big, long story. They came to us, and they were very traumatized kids. I, maybe some of you read a newsletter that we wrote. Um, they're the ones that, when we were interviewing the, fam the, the people that were sending them, said, now, which one of you was it that set fire to your house? And... His brother said, I was. And I said, why did you do that? And he said, I wanted to see everybody run. 
And, uh, Lord, <laughs> do you want them in our house? <laughs> um, but they are um, very dear boys at this point and have found peace in their hearts as far as their living condition, and we pray they'll find peace in the Lord. Andy has been with us since he was two months old. Um, he lived the first two years behind a locked door in a crib, two years old. He was 22 months old when he came to us. I'm sorry. And he had lived those 22 months in his crib behind a locked door. And so he didn't know how to talk. He didn't know how to walk. He didn't know how to interact. And um, he talks very well now. <laughs> and he's a very active little... When he learned to walk, he ran. So I think the desire was there. He just needed um, the freedom to get to do that. Aron is the five-year-old brother of Lucas. He's the one that liked to set fires, but he doesn't do that anymore. Larissa came to us um, at birth. Her mother had tried to um, uh, relieve herself of the burden before she was born, making three attempts at um, destroying her life. When she was born, she asked somebody to do it for her, and those per people came to us instead and asked if we would take her. So she's been with us. She's um, adopted. She has her citizenship. And um, it's taken five years for her to understand what I meant when I started, when she was about six months old, telling her Jesus wants us to have a gentle and quiet spirit that's precious in his sight. And when she was about three, she'd say, I don't want one. <laughs> but now at five, she says that she does. So um, she's a delightful little girl when she's not being not delightful. Kawan is 20 months old. He um, came when he was three weeks old. His parents are hiding from the law, from things that they've done in other states. They were um, having a domestic quarrel and using him as a beanbag, and a um, neighbor rushed in and took him. And um, I don't know the path exactly the Lord used to offer him to us. He is the pride of the family, and every child that comes in and they're a baby and they grow up and they become one and they learn to walk and we say wow look he's walking and then they learn to talk say did you hear that and we act like it's our firstborn and so right now he's our firstborn and everybody loves him and everything he does is new and nobody's ever done that before <laughs> and how smart he is and he's so intelligent and um we fight over Kezia and I, Kezia, who is the mother to the others, which means which everyone's, I'm not mothering, she's mothering. We argue over who is the real mother <laughs> of Kawan. <laughs> and I tell her, it's mine. And she says, but mom, can't you just give me the pleasure of <laughs> pretending? So, um, but do pray for him, and he's one of the ones that um, we have an opportunity to adopt, and we have made petition for him because our thinking, we were using excuse in our minds that we're so old, we shouldn't adopt young children. I mean, what about Kawan? Well, we'll make an exception. 
And the, the thinking goes like this. <laughs> um, he came to us unscarred, unharmed, unhurt. He's been in our home um, for 20 months. He's well-adjusted. He loves his family. His family loves him. Why scar him by interrupting the continuity of that love and care? And so for us, it's just, of course. And basically, that's how it is for the other 12. <laughs> so I think the decision's basically made. You can give us your yay or nay. The next three pictures are Tour, who is four, Emma, who is 12 months old, or was, and Deborah Haka, who is nine, are three children that spent a large portion of this last year with us. Our tour went, was reunited with his mother just a week before we came here. Emma was sent to a grandmother, and Deborah Haka um, asked if she could go back to her mother, knowing that life is hard there, but as most older children do when they come as older children, they love the peace, they love the love, they love the security that they have in our home. But their guiding desire is to prove that their mom loves them. They want to believe that their biological mom loves them. And so she's gone back, and it's hard for her to believe that she thinks if she's just there, that um, that means that her mom loves her. So um, we pray for her. And our tour and Deborah Hake are both in our school, so we still see them regularly and care for them in that way. Deuteronomy says in these words, which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your sons, and shall talk of them when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, this isn't staged. They are sleeping. The story was real interesting. <laughs> and when you rise up, and that's the desire of um, our hearts as we um, work with the family that the Lord has so lovingly given us, that every opportunity that we have with them, whether it's rising up is working in the garden, cleaning up the laundry room, washing stacks of dishes, um, those all give opportunity to teach of the Lord. In our homeschool, we have opportunity to give them the academic education that the world um, exacts of us, that we need, that the Bible encourages us to um, be wise and to learn. And all of those daily interactions, um, this is our school bus when it rains. <laughs> We've, we've redone, um, we had an extra stable with five stalls, and uh, the Tomics helped put electricity in there. We cemented the floors, and I was telling a few people for the first time in 28 years of homeschooling, I stood at the door and kissed all of my children goodbye while they went up to school in the little yellow school bus because <laughs> it was pouring down rain. Um, because I had given my uh, responsibilities over to Kazia and Kara while we prepared to come here. Um, butchering rabbits gives us opportunity to teach them of the Lord. Herd management, we have cattle, and they need vaccines, they need cared for, they need treated kindly, um, don't throw rocks at them, don't scare them, 
gives us opportunity. Construction, um, these are all areas that the men, Brent and Benjamin, are using to equip the, especially the boys, for life skills later. This is a garage that was complete, uh, completed recently. Horsemanship training, we alluded to that before at, at home. Um, that's a daily activity, horsemanship, vaulting, all of those things teach the children discipline. Um, we've heard that if you train a horse, the horse will take on your personality. Um, that often reveals to the child what their heart is like. You can beat the horse easier than you could beat the kid. <laughs> so um, it's a training tool. We don't, it's not just, I shouldn't have said that, but <laughs> it's not as damaging to ruin a horse as it is to ruin a child. So um, the horse helps us um, do that. Um, school camps is a ministry for the family. We realized that in our first generation of children, our oldest ones, they were heavily involved in all of our ministries. And in our second generation of children, um, they've been our ministry. We've been taking care of them, and the older kids take care of them. And we finally realized they haven't had the opportunities to learn to serve. And so we're inviting and using their help as we have camps out at the new property to give um, opportunity for outreach to them. Um, Sermon on the Mount is something that Benjamin does, and they do that at the camps, at the school, for the church, and it is a relaxed, informal way for people to hear the Word of God in a way that they're not intimidated. They love horses, and they, they listen and learn. Um, we have horsemanship for all ages. We like to start things young. Um, trail rides. And we have time for fun in the pond. You can contact us best by snail mail, which is CP11. We do have email that we check once in a while and a phone number if we can find a signal. So that gives you a, a bit of an idea of what we look like and what we do. So I wanted to talk just a little bit about why we do it. And over the years, Debbie and I have recognized what the church fathers have always said, that the end of man, the principal end of man or the principal purpose of man is to glorify God and to to delight in his presence forever. So the great commandment Jesus taught is that we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, our soul, and our minds, our strength. And so we desire, G-O-T-M, to glorify God. And our efforts are we return, we often have to remind ourselves, why are we here? And it's to glorify God. God's glory is a manifestation of his essence, of his being. His attributes, his oneness, his supremacy over all things. The godness of God, someone wrote. <clears throat> he says that I am who I am, when he spoke to Moses, and 
none are like me, he states. And that's our desire in Pombos, our desire at Laban's house. His glory is reflected most clearly to us in his work. And Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and the expanse declares the works of his hands. Hebrews 1.3 also talks of the redemptive work of God in Christ. <clears throat> says, And he, Christ, is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So we glorify God when we truly recognize who he is, when we recognize his works, when we recognize his oneness and delight and marvel in his works. A favorite author of mine, John Piper, said, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Often in the work, in the ministry, when we stop and evaluate what we're doing and how we're doing it, we realize that we have lost that satisfaction. When we're not truly satisfied in the Lord, then he can't be glorified in it. When our children aren't seeing in us and in our lives a delight in the Lord, then they can't see his glory. And so as a family, our commitment, what we are striving for, is to shepherd the hearts of the children that he has placed in our home toward the good shepherd, helping them to see his glory. And as Debbie mentioned uh, from Deuteronomy, when we rise up, when we lie down, when we're walking along the path. Our desire, what we strive for as parents to these children is to delight in him first. And as we delight in him, then we can delight in them. And they will begin to see and understand the glory of God and see his work both in creation around us and redemption in Jesus Christ. And as we are delighting in the Lord, delighting in our children, I recently read that true Christian love, as we're loving them, true Christian love is not making much of them, the child or the grandchild, now that we're grandparents also, but helping them to enjoy making much of God. So that's our desire in the home. And we we don't have the resources to shower them with lots of things but we do have the full resources in our hands to show them that when they enjoy making much of God, they will truly find why they were created, created to glorify him and to delight in his presence. In the school, too, our goal is to help the students, help the teachers, help the families of the students Uh, see who God is, to see his supremacy. The goal is to help both teacher and student to delight in learning. So we'll be learning for eternity, learning of God's glory. And so we want to help the children to begin right now to enjoy that process, that if they turn their hearts to the Lord, then we have eternity to learn about him. And he's given us a, a world full of 
fabulous, thing, fabulous things to learn about him. The hands of his work declare his glory, and we hope to help our students to see that glory in his creation and to use their marvelous minds to explore the creation and marvel in the hands of the creator. So A.W. Tozier said that to think is the easiest thing in the world, but to think good and fine thoughts is one of the hardest things to do, and all good thoughts uh, revolve around the creator and our God. So we have lots of thoughts, our students have lots of thoughts. Our goal is to direct those thoughts to their creator and those beautiful thoughts, the wonderful thoughts that center only in Christ. Laban's house, house of life. So the Lord is using that resource to also help us see the glory of God around us and a place where our family can rest, as Debbie said, I know I spend three days a week in, in Pombos and often thinking, well, when I get back home, when I get to Laban's house and I'll finish these things that I have trouble getting done when I'm at Pombos with the students and the families and, and everyone always uh, asking for time. And I find when I get to Pombos, all those concerns about the school kind of are set aside until the next week. And I truly can relax in a special way. So it's been a, a delight to um, see the Lord in a fuller way, I think, there at Laban's house. So delight in uh, that beautiful place that he's allowed us to, to be at. The Lord uses those resources, as Debbie demonstrated, to train the children in various skills. Um, challenge them to use those new skills in ways that are productive, ways that will serve others and in preparation for a future that, by God's grace, will be serving him. So our goal at GOTM is to lead them, so the children, the contacts, the students, to lead them to the true fountain that they might drink of his fullness and from their fullness their fullness, then spread the word that he only is sufficient, that he only is the provider of all good things. So that's why we do it. And as I said, we often lose sight of that goal, that purpose for being there. And he has a way of getting our attention frequently and bringing us back and helping us to remember what this ministry is about and what he desires to do there. So I think our time is about up. We did want to <coughs> open it up for any questions that anyone might have. What is the total population of students? So we have 70 students this year. So um, we set a goal each year when we open it up, when we matriculate the students to keep especially the younger classes at a maximum of 10 students as they come from troubled homes, uh, all of our students. And so we want to have uh, a ratio that makes, gives time for the teacher to work with each student individually. 
So we have many more requests than we can take, but we try to keep the younger classes at 10 when there's, uh, they're more accustomed to our, our philosophy and our teaching techniques and things. When the teachers are more comfortable than um, the later grades, we accept up to 14. I don't think we have any classes over 14, and we desire to keep it that way. No, the families are all poor, so uh, minimal resources. So that's, Debbie mentioned we were surprised at how much money they could come up with to buy the shoes and the popcorn and <laughs> things that we offered <laughs> on the last day of school. But the parents, again, usually only the mother lives in the home. Um, students that are from families with conditions often study in a private school because the city schools are chaotic. So Kara, uh, who is studying here in the States, as we said, in elementary education, is taking a correspondence course during the summer. And uh, one requirement was to have 24 hours of observation in the public schools. And we knew they were chaotic. We didn't know to the extent. So she spent uh, uh, six days, four hours uh, observing in the classroom and just absolutely no control. She said, actually, one of the best teachers who had the most control in the class was up to here when about three and a half hours of class had been completed. And Kara said all at once there was a blood-curdling scream. And Kara said her heart just stopped. And she realized it was the teacher telling the students to shut up. And I said, well, did it work? And she said about 20 seconds after the scream stopped, everything was pretty quiet, and then it went back to normal. So, so the... Support for the school comes from you folks, comes from the North American churches. So we have talked about. I'd just like to add that it may sound like that people would take advantage of that. And I've been real impressed in recent years that the mothers. <laughs> the mothers are. The mothers are, um, and the, the students are very thankful for the school, and the, the mothers feel that their children are protected there, and that's a lot of the reason why the ones that we have come. And in the last two years, the mothers have come to us offering things like, um, we were having trouble getting the uniforms done this year, and a group of mothers came and said, if you have the material, um, we know seamstresses and we'll either get them to do it or we'll pay for it ourselves. Um, like when the students had the appreciation picnics for their teachers, um, each of the students and the mothers contributed the food for that. Um, they come and offer uh, services within their abilities. And so I just wanted to say that because, and we do charge them 15 hay ice, which is at this point, eight to ten dollars when they matriculate, just to make sure that they're serious. So they come up with that, and um, some uh, when we we have a, 
um, accepted students from Christian homes that have more means. Um, there might be a mom and dad in the home and they have jobs and they want to come to our school because they want to protect their kids from the, the teaching that is in the public schools. And they often offer to do um, more for us, so that's more of a volunteer thing than an exacting thing. Uh, any other questions? So, I'm pretty, so our town's 25,000 people, so it's a small town. I would imagine that the schools in the big cities are worse. I don't know. When we were in Nepomuceno and, uh, at the boys' home, our three years there, I visited the schools um, regularly to see our students were dispersed in various schools of the city, and I went... And the schools were better there, but that's been 18, 20 years ago. And um, I know at that time the teachers could discipline the children. There was a little more control. Now they are not allowed to, and the teachers just uh, lose absolute control of the students. So classes are the teacher writing things on the board, and the students are supposed to copy it. And then, so the teacher's back is, back is to the students. I think that's often on purpose. He just doesn't want to see what's going on. And the students copy it, and then there's a test given on the material that they copied. Debbie was going to a meeting several years ago that the city had asked her to come to, and it was in one of the public schools. And Debbie said that there's just total racket screaming going on, but the doors were closed. Debbie was in the hallway. She said a door opened, a teacher stuck her head out. Debbie saw a desk flying through the air behind. The teacher took a couple gasps of air, closed the door, and went back in. <laughs> so the, it takes a very special student to be able to learn in that atmosphere. So the students that we receive are those that just are not going to make it in that atmosphere, and we've been pleased with the progress. The mothers have been pleased with the progress they see. Have you had students that have graduated from your school, and how do they fare? Yes, yeah, so they do well. They So our school um, officially can just go through fourth grade. So we have the academy, which is fifth through eighth. And we're not registered to do that. We have three teachers studying at the college level on weekends so that we will be able uh, soon to register that. But parents whose uh, kids have gone through the first four grades and they don't want to put them in the city schools. And so they ask, and we resisted that for uh, two years, I think. And then we finally decided, yes, we. We need to do something. So they can do that and then take a test. So we have a, a small group that will be taking tests um, the end of this year to get their eighth grade certificate. Um, so the ones that have completed <coughs> do well. We have some this year that returned. So they finished fourth grade, went into the city schools, and 
<laughs> for two years, so we have three or four students that were there for two years, returned still in fifth grade, saying they just can't learn there. And basically they didn't, they just skipped school most of the time, so they didn't enter into that atmosphere. Real determined students can go on. High school is a big social event. So mostly girls complete high school. Boys don't have that much interest. So again, um, our older students are coming up to that, that age group. Girls either study and go to school or they get married when they're 15 or 16 or so. So that's 14. So we actually had two students last year that stopped and got ran off, got married. So that's a prayer request that students will see the value of continuing their education and see the value of the Lord in their life. So anything else? So we'll stay in here for a little bit. If you have a little time, we have a little time. So if there's any questions you have for us on a one-on-one -on -one level, we're free to do that. So thank you very much for your invitation. Um, it's been a real blessing for Debbie. Our last week at Mid at uh, Warm Beach Camp, here this week, the just the fellowship, the encouragement that we've received from our brothers and sisters in the Lord and those who have been so faithful in supporting the work over the years, has been a real encouragement to us. It's been nice without the kids. Uh, we miss them, but. There's a lot more liberty to, to visit and to enjoy um, personal time <laughs> with you folks without the kids. Uh, <laughs> we might leave them home the next time, too, since we have good caretakers there. 